Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and the leadership channel listeners on the MBN. I'm here with my friend and business partner, Kimon Pontikidis, at the beginning of 2024 on planet Earth. And we've got a very nice guest with us today, Faisal Kanji, who I met a few weeks ago. Faisal is the CEO and founder of a company called Hunger Hub, I think. But Faisal, why don't you introduce yourself and the company to someone who's never heard of you, never heard of it, and is just curious about what you do with your life? Yeah, so Hunger Hub, uh, you can think of us as Uber Eats meets catering. Um, We're a Canadian-based company currently operating across uh, Canada. Um, And when I say Uber Eats meets catering, think of traditional catering as um, an office event or a party where you have trays of food. Um, You don't know um, what your guest dietary preferences are or what their meal preferences are. Um, And everyone's kind of just communally eating uh, together with with what we do, um, we we take that same experience of, of multiple people eating together and we add the efficiencies of being able to order from a restaurant. So each person attending an event would, would get their own login. Um, they're able to select from a restaurant of their choice. They're able to customize their meal to their dietary or meal preferences. And then we aggregate all those orders and deliver it together. Um, so we were founded in 2018 and... Um, yeah, we've been growing ever since. What sort of scale Ooh. are you at at the moment? It sounds complicated and hard to execute. We'll come to that. But what sort of scale, just to give an idea of the numbers, what sort of scale are you at at the moment in terms of people or revenue, if you can share it? Yeah, uh, currently we're around uh, 10 million annually in terms of revenue. Um, we, I, I can't, yeah, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, recently in terms of uh, how many orders we execute daily. Must be a lot at ten million. You must be a lot. So divide my first 10, question divide, 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 divide ten million by the sorry, Kim, go ahead. I was just going to divide. 10 I'm million just trying to understand. I'm just trying to imagine. Uh, my first question when I'm trying to imagine this business is the delivery guy comes and dumps off what a hundred boxes. <laughs> like, how does, or how does it? Yeah. How do I find my meal? Like, how does it actually like? From the like, I, when you first presented it, I pictured these people walking around in tuxedos with trays and hors d'oeuvres on it, and yeah. then, but then, like, what happens? Like, like this, like, if everybody has a customized meal, like, how does how does it work after yeah. that? Logistically, I'm um I'm sure that the mind is kind of twirling right now. <laughs> um, so I guess if you look at the the complete opposite of Uber Eats and you have a hundred people, um, you're gonna get one delivery person for each person, uh, that's ordering. And so you're going to have 100 delivery drivers coming off to drop meet 100 people. And um, that's a lot of inefficiency. What we do <laughs> instead is we have um, a couple drivers. We'll have one or two if you're if you're having uh, 100 meals. And we'll have a designated drop-off spot. All of our orders are labeled. Um, so all our partners have very strict labeling instructions so that when, when the food is delivered, um, the the end user is able to know identify kind of the location of the food based on the restaurant it's coming from and then they're able to um see which bag is theirs based on like a unique code and so for them it's it's much it's it's very streamlined so as long as they know where the food is actually going to be dropped off we 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 work with our own internal delivery team which are trained in um how to handle and, and deliver food in a certain manner so it's it's not um, the traditional gig worker where it's, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. 
um, these delivery drivers are, are with us for a long period of time. So they um, are going to the same location day after day and they understand, you know, where, where to spe specifically drop off the food and then how to organize it so that it is efficiently um, picked up. Look, so who is the, the main, like, um, is it basically like, I'm, I'm picturing it mostly, it's like an office, like you go to an office, like it's an office is ordering lunch. Is that the more of a typical sort of thing? Not really like a, a catered event, because a catered event sounds like it's it's harder, like it would just be a more complicated thing. Or does yeah. that happen as well? I mean... So we have a mix of different scenarios, um, but the most typical is the office that is ordering daily, um, as simply like as an, as an employee perk, or they have like a, a once a, a month um, office event. Um, the, the events side where it's like you know a whole group of unknown people we've we played with that space um it's a little bit more difficult because um you're you're re you're introducing your product to someone new each each and every time um whereas like with us it the office clients are because it's repeatable they're they're kind of more used to what it is and and, and kind of understand what to expect Uber Eats is like, even if it's, we're all getting it from the same place, it can be quite hard to figure out which one's for who, right? Even even the, the level of like one restaurant or one venue, you know, you get a little bit of crappy handwriting on the lid of some chicken tikka masala and you just don't know because it all looks the same. Yeah, we've, we've seen it all working with restaurants. Um, I think we've been able to kind of crack that code in, in how we train our restaurants and, and how we uh, onboard them and partner with them. But yeah, we've seen, um, you know, receipts stapled to bags, the the, the chicken scratch handwriting, um, just putting simply an item name when it's like, that's not very helpful when there's a hundred items that are, that have been ordered. Um, so we, we've definitely learned a lot through trial and error. And, and um, I think now we're, we're at a point where we kind of crack that code. And I guess the number one headache has to be, I'm just going to guess, is that somebody takes the wrong one and then somebody's complaining that I didn't get it. <laughs> but maybe that's not it. Yeah, thankfully that doesn't happen too often. Um, it's one of those things where I think people are, are pretty self-organized and because it's the meal is customized, you don't really want someone else's meal. All right, um, okay. Because <laughs> if I have, like I have a dietary, um, a dairy restriction, so I don't want to just grab someone else's dessert and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, right. lactose intolerance is kicking in. Right, and... right, 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 right. Okay. And also, so that's also not a... I, I mean, I like the repeat business aspect. Like if you're dealing with offices, it's like, like if you eat your co-worker's chicken salad, you've got yeah, a grumpy co-worker. You. You've got a grumpy yeah. co-worker. Yeah, they'll come find you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is mostly... So before we started recording, we uh, we found out you're you live in Toronto. Uh, is this mostly in? Is it, is this a Canadian thing? Is this offered? Where is it offered right now? Is it currently offered in just Toronto or across Canada yeah, or across Canada? Uh, we're we're in Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary. Those are kind of our main hubs, and then um, the small suburbs outside of those cities. Um, the only place we haven't expanded to in Canada yet is Quebec, um, but that is on our radar. Um, and then, yeah, from, from here, um, because we have a pretty solid base in Canada, I think the next, the next step is international expansion. So when you say international would, I would imagine that you, you're the, the U S would be the, like the, 
you know, attract the market. Well, no, because it's all, and I I would almost say U.S. before Quebec because Mm -hmm. of French versus like you don't have to localize any of your, because I'm sure, I don't know, do you have to then localize your stuff into French? If you're, yeah, exactly. And then is it worth localizing your stuff in the French or is it better to just sell into the U.S. where you could sell it in in English? I mean, just right away. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. So that's kind of the internal discussion we're having now is is where to go next. Is it um, is it going to Quebec? Is it going to the States? Is it going somewhere into Asia or Europe? Um, I think logistically the States is much closer, but it is also uh, a very large and competitive market. Um, okay. Because yeah, I'm wondering what could possibly be the reason that the, it wouldn't be just slam dunk I'm going to the US. Like what's the... What's the argument against yeah. it? There are other, it's like, there's other stuff. There's other, it's competitive. There are other uh, companies offering the same thing or. And I think at, at the scale of the States, like any city you want to launch in the States, you want to make sure that you're, um, that you've developed a very good core team in that city. Um, and because of the size, of a lot of these cities, like you, it's not for us, economics of scale really t- takes a place. Okay. Into so we need a certain amount of restaurants to on like to have on our platform, a certain amount of drivers we have to have to service a certain number of clients. So if we're going into the states where we're having a, a higher expectation of number of clients that we want to start with and the trickle down to uh, the number of restaurants and drivers we need to kind of start with is, is going to be much larger. Um, whereas if we find a city that's like we could, we could go to a small city in the states. I think that's something that... Um, would would have a, a, a not an easier expectation to meet, but just a, a more realistic one. Is it um, just a question of investment? Because basically it sounds like what you're talking about is just investment. Like, right? It's just like you need to invest. Uh, I'm sure it's advertising as well as hiring, recruiting, hiring, yeah. managing, whatever. Um, yeah. So it's part partly partly an investment decision and then partly just making sure that you have the capacity as a team to, to manage that. Um, because I I think the worst the worst case and we've seen c- companies come out of Toronto trying to expand to the states too quickly, um, and and they haven't done well because they didn't do enough market research they ha- didn't have the right team in place and I think for them they were obviously backed by investors that were pushing them to do these moves and um, the the results were pretty poor and I think as a company um, we. Our, come of, some of our core values is to make sure that we are well prepared in any situation and, and that we are able to execute. We want to, we don't want to over promise and under deliver in anything we do. Um, and so for us, it's, if we're going to go into the States, we want to make sure that we're at our standard. And I think just making sure, even, even if we have the investment in place, um, that we're able to be comfortable with that. That makes sense. I would imagine Richard, Mm-hmm. you're on mute imagine... or it's you're delayed yeah oh, so you're okay it's making yeah i would imagine that it's in terms of what stops anyone copying you it's pretty tricky to do this well would you say this is a, like your real know-how is how to actually make sure that you've got a happy customers is, is is it tricky to do what you're doing I would say so. I mean, I've I've lived it, so I would definitely say it's tricky to copy. Um, there's you're you're dealing with a three sided marketplace with with the delivery drivers, with the restaurants, with the clients. Um, everyone kind of has to be happy, and then in in the in the real center is kind of our account management and customer service. So there are a lot of moving pieces. Um, 
And this all kind of sets, sits on top of the tech that we've developed. So as a company, we have so many different kind of uh, departments that we're, we're kind of managing and, and that we have to grow and, and that kind of have to move in unison. So if, for example, um, we don't have enough restaurants in a certain city, it's going to affect the way that um, we're able to expand our client base or kind of sell to them. Yeah. Uh, if our tech isn't able to keep up with the pace of client growth or, or driver growth, um, that's going to affect that. So there's so many different parts that are interconnected and, and they kind of slow and slow the speed of the growth. But I think if, if we're trying to make sure everything is done correctly, then then we kind of have to make sure that they're all in unison. Do you, uh, did you get any, do you have investors or how, how does it look? You see? No, no, we're fully bootstrapped. Um, we never, we did look at taking investment. I think the biggest thing for us is just alignment. Um, one of the biggest things in, in, in the Canadian space is how do we get to the States? And I think a lot of the investors we spoke to um, believed in growth over everything else. And I don't think that's really our philosophy when it comes to building a business. Um, I think for us, it's we have, we have to do it right. We have to make sure our customers are happy, our clients are happy. We don't want to um, go around just winning accounts and then um, the service doesn't really speak for itself. I think we've taken very much the opposite approach of just building a really good product and not worrying so much about the the sales aspect and and a lot of and it shows from a lot of our business it has came from referrals um awesome so yeah we, we've been able to kind of stay bootstrapped so are you that. are you are you the, the sole founder or are there other no founders? i'm a co-founder yeah so how did you go can you just tell us the origin story yeah um me and him met on a dating app um which is i mean dating gap for co-founders um there was a there was a website in the mid 2010s called angelist i don't know if um it was out in europe but it was somewhat popular in toronto um and we had just kind of met each other on that and we met for a coffee um he already had this idea kind of formated and oh this business yeah, yeah. okay and he and we kind of talked about it as, as kind of like what does what does it look like long term and, and kind of what's the goals? And um, he was very passionate about the idea. And I think that's what really drew me to it. Um, and so, yeah, we de we decided that um, it's something worth doing. I think at this point, just to give you kind of the idea of what the landscape looked like, I think Uber Eats had just launched the summer before. Um, there was a few other kind of like food food to people was just starting to become a concept. Restaurants were still very hesitant to work with uh, providers um, in this space. I think it was still a very niche idea. And our, our focus was completely on um, the catering side and, and doing it to offices and, and not necessarily doing one-to-one -one deliveries. Um, and so, we, yeah, we, we took the idea and we ran with it. And... Um, it, it was definitely a tougher problem, I feel, to solve than one-to-one -one delivery. But I think now that we've kind of got that in place, it's, it's something that's uh, we're going to pick. How did you compete or how did you advertise? How did you get your, you know, get on the map of like, how do people even know about you? So I think the biggest thing at that point was tech companies were offering food at work to um, employees in, in the States. And when they had a, a office in Toronto, 
um, they didn't really have a suitable solution. And so I think just being at the right place at the right time and, and kind of creating that solution that would uh, fit the void. Um, oh, okay. We were able to kind of to get into that. We had a really good, um, I guess you could call it client number one that was continuously providing feedback, um, tough feedback, which was great because it forced us to iterate very quickly um, and it forced us to rethink a lot of things. I think having a good client up front where they're not necessarily tied to you, but they're they're a very big champion of your product uh, is important because totally they they will give you that feedback that kind of keeps you awake at night and and forces you to kind of rethink and and push through. And I mean, they they left us for a competitor uh, for a bit, and I think at that point we were we were scrambling to just kind of see how we can come back. And, and that during, during those periods, I think that's when a lot of the, the key base of our product was, was built. And in terms of how you, you said it, there, there were these American companies that were replicating to Toronto or setting up in Toronto and they couldn't find anything. How did you sell to them? Were you walking in the door? Were you cold calling them? Were you like, was it old school? And was it you doing the sales or someone else? No, so it was my my uh, business partner. Sorry, he was uh, in charge of that, and it was a lot of yeah, cold calling and and just walking through the door and and just making, um, yeah, making a lot of connections and and just person using personal connections, um, just to even get a trial and and get our foot into the door just to showcase the product. I think even from an early stage, we realized the product we had built was. A vast improvement over what was doing done being done day to day by by most people, and it was saving people time. It was creating efficiencies across the board. So for us, it was just giving getting people to even give us the the light of day to even try it. And we did a lot of free trials. We did a lot of um, um, just you know word of mouth approach, and and yeah, thankfully was able to to get into the door in a few places. It's interesting. We have uh, in this company where I'm sitting right now at Argos. That's uh, the translation company I was referring to. We built an app. We had the, we built it into the intranet, the uh, lunch ordering system, basically. Mm -hmm. But it didn't. But it not automated. It only automated to the extent that it it created a nice list for the office assistant to be able to go through and order. I need this man. So, so there's like X number of restaurants and like, yeah. but so like what you, so I, but I'm just wondering, it's very much a, um, a corporate solution that you created. Um, yeah. and so I'm just going to, so, but, but today, and maybe I misunderstood, but it sounds like it's more than that today. Is it, it's so like, maybe talk us through how it went. So I guess, cause yeah. I, I can totally get how you started then. Like you just go, I mean, you go from office to office or whatever, like you get a list of companies. How do you manage your office? Uh, how do you manage your lunch, whatever service in the company? It, it, it's, it's, it has to be a problem for, you know, lots of big companies. So you could obviously you probably went through that and got, you know, you got clients that way, but then I guess you took it beyond that so and then again that right. because there is a moment when you must be out there in terms of advertising some kind of advertising of some sort or yeah so i think it's exactly that um like you hit it you hit the the nail on the head where early on and and that's why i said we had built-in efficiencies from day one it was it was more of a collect your orders from your team and save time um solution where we noticed a lot of people who are in charge of ordering food at work 
for their teams are either collecting it through um, Google Sheets or yeah. Slack or just you know sending out emails and then you have to organize it yeah. and you have to figure out what restaurant fits all those profiles um, and then still someone's going to be unhappy. So for <laughs> us, it was just, yeah, here's a simple way to save you all the time of doing that. And then over time, as we started working with more and more restaurants and, and delivery drivers, we realized we can leverage all these resources and we can, um, we realize we're, we're working from more of a catering space solution. And we realize we can repurpose the solution to other industries. We can um, offer different types of services and different types of products. And, and that's why today we kind of view it more as a, as a catering solution for the corporate world. But I think it can be applied to many different, different use cases. And we've seen many different use cases, um, which is kind of, interesting in the sense that we built this product that um now anyone can go on to our site and, and order and, and we see like people ordering for birthday parties and for um you know just regular dinners with families and friends and it's interesting to see that it's not just the corporate space that's seeing the efficiencies um it's it's a lot of different uh a lot of different types of users but to, to your point we never actually ended up spending anything on advertising well interesting wow yeah. okay no it's, good for uh, you you save money all word of mouth and <laughs> and we do have like outbound outreach but um yeah <laughs> thankfully so it's other organizations it's basically organizations it's basically where people congregate right it's like where mm -hmm. there are groups of people that hang out like all day they're gonna need lunch yeah exactly mm -hmm. Very interesting. And I, I'm tempted to go back to the origins and more dig around in the startup, but I'm also thinking about the future. That Obviously, if you can sort of nail the expansion, maybe into a couple of smaller American cities, and like, suppose you can do, I don't know what, for America so big, like, you know, half a million people, a million people, or what, you know, some sort of, I was in Spokane after I went to Vancouver, and like, small town, Spokane. small town America, Spokane, <laughs> uh, it, it kind of, I had no idea there were cities like that in America. Like just like they're very different to the big it's cities. Mostly, it's mostly cities like it's that's what but, it's but mostly like, like. But like obviously, I mean, and suppose you came to the conclusion like to do it well, you know, you, you mm. have to basically like the Uber approach. You have to be ready to lose money at the start. But like once you've got two cities or three cities, and you can you can demonstrate to an investor. Look, no, for two hundred thousand bucks, we can do a new city, and like after a year, and not without, and I'm saying without compromising on quality. Obviously, that's the that's the key thing. Would you can, can and if you could get a high enough valuation to make it worth selling some equity, would you have you have you talked about that considering it? Because obviously, like to, to organically grow across America, you could be like fifty by the time. You you finished yeah, expanding. Yeah. Is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? I and mean, are, are you living the dream? You know, that's another question. Yeah, I think if I guess to the first question, um, one of the things that we've kind of looked at with investors is what's the strategic uh, alliance that they can provide. So it's not just the cash that we'd want. It's kind of who can you introduce us to, whether it's in the restaurant space or in the client space. Um, that kind of brings us that foothold. And and our expansion strategy has always been. When we're going to a new city, we want to find a few anchor clients, similar to how we launched the company. We want to find anchor clients that are going to stick with us for a set period of time um, and navigate the essential, like we're essentially starting up another company in another city. So they, they're they kind of more lenient with us and more willing to uh, go through the ebbs and flows of that startup process um, because there are going to be days where 
um, we've onboarded a restaurant partner that doesn't doesn't really get it and they're going to get food late or they're going to get food mislabeled and then you are going to have that mad scramble of, of 100 people trying to figure out what food is is theirs um, or we're going to hire a driver in a new city where maybe they just don't show up a couple days and we're going to run into those problems and and we expect it and we build it into kind of our expansion plans um, but so that's why we kind of if we are going to take money or sell part of the company, it's going to be for someone who can provide us the the strategic alignments to to make that expansion work. And in terms of my other question, because I I, ask, I have a habit of asking like four questions in one sentence, which isn't great for an interviewer. Um, is, could you imagine growing this organically over the next twenty years, or do you like have you sort of and do you enjoy it? And obviously you're making money, it's doing well, so you could just carry on doing it forever. Or do you think there'll come a point where you say, I want to do something different? Yeah, I definitely enjoy it. I definitely think um, the long-term potential in this company, like it, it's huge. There's a lot of upside that I see. Um, and one of those validating factors is we are seeing um, similar companies pop up across the world uh, in different markets, kind of having their own approach to the same solution but we we definitely understand that that's validation to say that there's the need across the globe so there is a long-term uh there's the long-term potential to stick with the company and, and continue to grow this and i don't 20 years like i can't even think about next week at this point <laughs> um so if you're asking me the long term um what does 20 years like i think there's definitely the potential for the company to be uh, continuously in this growth phase for the next 10, 10 years at least, um, maybe even 15. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I love what I love what we do. Um, I love the idea. I love the, the company. I love our team. Um, so I think it's it's definitely something I, I could definitely see going for a longer period of time. And what what about what you were doing before and like the environment you're from, like I'm always interested in about people's childhood. Would, would would you, when you were ten, be surprised to know you were all, you were leading or co-leading a co-leading a food delivery company? Was that was that like ever on your radar to be on? Were you always going to be an entrepreneur? Or like, can you talk about the kind of the kind of lives you imagine imagine for yourself and whether your family is like completely astonished or they're say they're really behind you or what 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 what's what's that like? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, um, because the upbringing influenced a lot of what I do today. Um, so my dad had a had a restaurant. Um, so growing up, I was working in that restaurant. He was very entrepreneurial, um, and so just from an early age, just even working in that setting, you you kind of there's two things you you kind of learn how to f solve problems very quickly and with very little information. Um, so that kind of breeds into that entrepreneurial way of thinking. Um, and it, it kind of makes it hard to want to go to a desk job or to follow a traditional, um, let's go to school and, and answer question A with, with you know, the solution B. Um, so I think just, just having that background from an early age um, really gave me that, um, insight and then two it, it comes down to drive so just seeing how every day it was like a new adventure there's a whole host of different problems coming up every day 
that need to be solved, but then also need to have that long-term thinking of once these are solved, I have to still put in the time and effort to think of what's what's going to affect me 10 years from down, uh, down the line. So I think just having that um, upbringing kind of pushed me more. So early age, started working in a restaurant. Um, in high school, started doing a few side hustles, like working in real estate, working in... Um, Oh man, there's a lot of side hustles. Did uh, you sell anything in high school? Did you sell real estate in high school? Actually yeah. sell real estate? Yeah, I got my license uh, at 18 and, and started selling real estate. Oh my God, that's yeah. awesome. And then um, started a coffee business. So it was a coffee distribution business. Um, and I think that there was a lot of learnings through that business because it wasn't as scalable. I, I learned a lot about scalability at that point. Um and I think just replicating the solo entrepreneur journey uh, through that business, you learn there's a lot of uh, emotional ups and downs and you realize what it looks like to have to think long term and kind of you can't you can't do everything. Um, and and I think that was one of the biggest lessons through that business. I did it for, I believe, seven years. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's lonely I mean, and it's lo I'm sure you learned that it's lonely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's lonely and, and you just don't have any outlets. And right. So you don't have anybody to talk to. So that's, I wonder if that drove you. What's well, so interesting to listen to your story because like, it seems like you were destined for this. Like you started with a restaurant and then you did logistics. Yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, everything kind of just connected and came together. And then, I, yeah. I, I was just thinking about the fact you were like hanging around on angel list and I, I'm aware of angel list and so like normally if I like Google someone who I've come across and I'm curious about their background, sometimes they pop up on angel list and you see what companies they were invested in or what they founded. So it's like a, that's, I never sort of this as being a platform through which you met people, but maybe I'm just using it the wrong way. But the fact you were going out and having a coffee with someone you met on angel list and you were on the lookout for an opportunity, right? Even if you didn't know what it was going to be, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so towards the end of the, I, I mean, it wasn't the end of the coffee business, but I think it was kind of, I saw the writing on the wall in terms of expansion and there there was kind of a limit in how large I can make it without similar to just taking a a, a large investment or um, putting in a lot of my own personal money. Um, I kind of realized that I have to look for another direction. Um, and I knew tech was something that I really had a passion about. Um, I taught myself how to code, started kind of working on some side projects in that space. Um, and then AngelList was one of those places where like, you know, you could congregate with, with other people that have, or you could see what their profile is in, in more of a tech space. And so I think that was kind of what led me to um, that, that kind of platform. And it's, do you think you found it, it was quite lucky that you found that co-founder? Because it's also interesting that you said it was his passion, not yours, that encouraged you. So, but, and you come across it like, you didn't come across, I mean, you come across it like happy, you're obviously pretty serious and pretty motivated, but you, you're not like, uh, you're not like the grumpy guy who needs to be led along by the cheerful guy. If you know, just, I'm just like, it sounds mm -hmm. a bit weird, but like, yeah. but you know, he, 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 he kind of inspired you, but you didn't really need inspiration, did you? Or was it just like encouraging for you to get involved with him? Yeah, I think I think when 
you see somebody have that level of passion or understanding of an industry and just coming i had i had an understanding of my industry that i was coming out of um i think i had i saw the opportunities within the coffee industry and I'm, i understood where um with the right investment a lot of money could be made um and i think he his passion echoed that for this food tech space um he spoke about all the different players that were entering the industry he spoke about a lot of the different approaches they were taking and i could tell that he had done a lot of research and had a lot of insight into it um and so for me it was like recognizing that he has this same knowledge base that i have for the coffee industry in in the food tech industry and then understanding that is it, like i felt that we would kind of work well together um we didn't really know like i think that's that's a whole another uh, episode of just absolutely will co-founders coexist um and then yeah we were able to kind of just was it pretty fast i mean you guys pretty how, how quick was the like the decision and i think it was probably a week or two it wasn't oh my it god and you just yeah. jumped in yeah. set up a company and no yeah. and we were and how long has it been uh since I want to say like seven years. What's wow, this? That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And no, and 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 pretty. I mean, obviously, I don't want to go. You don't have to air your dirty laundry, but no. pretty smooth, pretty smooth. Yeah. I that's, think uh, that's that's very that I that that that. So Richard, you hit the nail on the head with the luck. That's there's a bit of luck involved there. I think to find the. I mean, obviously, you make your own luck, and you yeah. know you were enterprising and looking for stuff and you had the right experience but yeah you know, there's the human component it's so it so often falls down on the human piece and the ego and somebody has yeah. an ego and and we've we've talked about it before like we can't believe the luck that because we've talked to other company co-founders mm -hmm. and, and we hear about the infighting and and kind yeah. of like the ego and it's I ego it's both a, of us yeah. we're motivated by just anger anger like any competitor we're like we're so united against competitors that we're yeah. just like <laughs> you know what whatever like we and it's weird because we never really have fought um or had any like serious disagreements or any yeah. arguments or anything like that where it's like we we see the problem and we have different approaches to the solution but it's we're always very aligned but you're interested in the same outcome the the, the, the best yeah. for the company basically you're you're completely aligned in terms of it's the best for the company basically exactly. and that's all that matters actually sorry yeah. i i want to clarify this i want to misheard you. you said you're motivated by anger because you're extremely competitive and you like you like yeah. busting your competition out of the water is that is that yeah. what i understood you saying that's with a big with I... a big smile on your face right so, yeah we're, so we're both very competitive very competitive and i think that's that's kind of what's a really good alignment in, in both of us is just we both want to win and I think we both want like we understand what perfection looks like in our eyes and 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 we enjoy kind of, I mean yeah we enjoy we enjoy winning so I think that for us is kind of the big the big key factor yeah and I, I guess I, how many people work for you now in your team about uh, we're a team of about 30 now and I, and for anyone listening, I think this is really important because a lot of people like, you know, they, people go into business for different reasons. And if it's like impress your parents, make a lot of money, your employees will sense it. Even if you say the right things, they'll sense that the leadership doesn't really care. But if you and your co-founder really care about doing it really well, it 
totally impacts on the culture of the organization and you know maybe can you talk a bit about the culture you've created like and because 30 people is too many just for people to like guess what sort of things you expect from them. so how, how do you make sure that everyone who works here because you know you're not talking like rocket science jobs of like you know you're not mckinsey or you know right. deals right doing sort of something that everyone's so how do you attract the sort of people you want and how do you make sure that they're on they're on message yeah, I think one of the, the great things about almost being a bigger company than we are, I, I don't think we feel like a big company. I think like the the impact and influence everyone gets to have in, in the day-to-day is quite large. Um, and the decision-making ability that we let everyone have is is pretty free. And I think that keeps everyone in line with what our expectations are and, and kind of our understandings of how how as a company can we grow. Um, and I think everyone that we bring onto our team is equally as, as competitive and um, nurturing. And I think we're all very good team players. And um, the biggest factor for us is just trust. I think we, we know that because we have different departments that are all interconnected, but pretty much siloed off from each other that we, we can trust each other to kind of get the job done and, and to do it at a high level. Um, I think that for us has created the most alignment internally. Are you a dispersed organization or do you guys have a... Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we're fully remote. We've been fully remote since day one. Um, we, we meet up as a team like once a month, um, just kind of team gathering. Well, we're but... physically where... The, I, oh, so I, I would have assumed... But they're not only... So they're based in like within the people can come it's it's you're i, I thought you're not hiring globally you're hiring in canada and yeah, we're, we're hiring globally globally okay um and when so, you say get together you mean on zoom or something like that uh whoever is kind of in toronto like toronto okay. we have maybe 10 12 people so uh, okay. we're together here um but even like a lot of us will remote work um i was two months in portugal so nobody really saw me other than video camera but huh. uh, yeah, I think we're still able to be very cohesive and, and um, just work efficiently. And and it was kind of good that we were able to set up a completely remote culture before COVID and before everyone else kind of got into it. Nice. We were able to find what works well, what doesn't work well, what tools we need. And then with the COVID and, and a whole host of new tools coming online, we were able to see what's going to work best and, and kind of understood what didn't work well. Um and so we were able to leverage whatever came new onto the market uh, a little bit better. Awesome. Just, 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 just I mean, I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you because not everyone may have have the idea of it. But in terms of your business model, what sort of are you taking a commission on the food you deliver? Yeah, like how are you making money, and what's your sort of value of clients in terms of like how much can you make from a client without sharing too much, I guess, for your competitors or whatever, what could like in terms of what you can make out a, a year or a month from a good client, what sort of numbers are you looking at? Yeah, for us. Um, so we are taking commission from the restaurant. Um, that is kind of how we make the, the bulk of our revenue. Um, in terms of a good client, I think it's the size of the client is what we look at. So how many people are there in their office? I think a good client is going to be around uh, 150 to 200 people. And then the frequency of which they're ordering meals. Um, so typically a, a good client is ordering Monday to Friday. Um, and they're having these daily meals just coming in. 
Um, and yeah, that's typically what we look for. Um, so you can, you can actually, you can spend quite a lot on client acquisition if you want to, like a good client is worth a lot of money, basically, I would say, yep. just listening to, yeah, which is great because lifetime value, like compared to the individual Uber Eats, I'm, I'm a rubbish client for Uber, like as yep. an Uber Eats buyer, I buy intermittently, not very much, just once in a while. And in terms of um, anything, and we're coming towards the end of our time, it's like, it almost sounds too good to be true. true. Are there any like major major disasters or things that went horribly wrong like that, that someone else could learn from i'm sure not everything was perfect you haven't said that everything was perfect but like in things that you got wrong that you think that if you did it again you could do it differently that other people could learn from are there any sort of like things that are just like glaringly obvious to you now that you should have done differently i think i mean for each department we could have something that's that's gone wrong during that process of building that department. Um, and even just in terms of like events that have happened over time, there's there's been a lot of interesting key points. I think the one thing that I'd go back to in terms of if I had to start over and um, with the knowledge that I had today, I think it would be to um, hire faster and not be so worried about um i mean obviously you want to worry about how, how are you going to pay people but i think just being a little bit more aggressive in terms of the talent that we brought on uh to our team because one of the things that i've learned is time isn't is not infinite like as an as a solo entrepreneur previously you kind of have that mindset where um i have an unlimited amount of time and i can sleep whenever and I can do a little bit of everything, but I think just really focusing on what you're really good at and then bringing in team members that you trust to to solve the problems that can be solved by them uh, is very important. And I think had going back to day one, I think just building out a larger team um, to start with and and that would have probably saved us a little bit of time and energy. Yeah, but I mean, it's like, you know, now what you know, right? Dave is going to work and all that. So it's easy to, easy to go. But I do agree with you. Yeah on because uh, i'm very much a proponent of speed in general and in fact i believe make decisions make bad decisions but make them fix it I, it's just better to go fast than it is to go slow mm -hmm. um and i think i have to believe in it i think it's more and, and i think just as time goes on with technology and changing so much that just increases like exponentially actually we just need to keep you just need to if you're running a business you need to keep moving fast um and just sitting still is and and that's what it is. Is it's like if you it's being able to pivot too quickly from mistakes. So whether it's yeah. a, a poor decision financially or yeah. a poor hire, like just being able to move that a little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, totally. That uh, I agree. So I mean, this has been very interesting. It's like you know, we haven't had someone with exactly your sort of story. Certainly, no no one in your sector on the podcast so far. So so thank you very much. Is there anything we haven't asked you that you think? We should have asked you or something that you, when you're preparing for this, you said, well, I'm, I really want to tell them this or that. It's like there's something we've left out. Like, have you got like a gold medal and you're very famous for something or whatever? Is there anything else you want to share that we haven't asked you about um, at all? No, I, I'm trying to think if I have anything humbly to brag about, but I don't. Well, let me, let me help you. Do you, are you, this comp competitiveness, does it, yeah. 
does it show itself in anything like outside of the business? Are you so? What's your like main <laughs> like outlet for competitiveness other than your business? I think it's just sports. I think I, yeah. I so like, what? So there's was it there something that you did growing up, or that you still do, or is there? I think just growing up playing hockey, soccer. Um, okay. Any, anything I could, you know, get my mind to be a little bit competitive. Definitely did that. I think as as I've gotten older, I you can't you can't keep doing that because a hockey in particular. Yeah, the the six weeks of no typing is is a problem. <laughs> so you kind of have to find other outlets to be competitive. But yeah, I, I try to stay active. Try to like take different activities that kind of take that edge off and. Um, I, I love to like weightlift and, and kind of just compete with myself in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Get better. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. And, and you're, basically, it's sort of steady as you go. So you could be doing this for a long time. So it's not like you're looking for other things to invest in or anything like, or move out of it. You know, basically, like if we touch base in five or 10 years time, there'll be like 300 cities and you'll be sitting in a bedroom somewhere with a big smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Yeah, possibly. Fantastic. But if, if anyone here wants to get in touch with you, uh, we'll put your LinkedIn or the name of your company in the, I, I guess you, you'd be happy with that. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I always love, Great. you know, ambitious or interesting people. Um, and yeah, definitely moving around from a lot of different cities. So um, yeah, definitely. If anyone wants to connect, that's more than happy. To. Well, that's fantastic. Kim, if there's anything else you want to ask, I'm done. I, I, this was great. I really enjoyed it. No, I mean, I was really impressed. Like, I think Faisal has the, like, for, I mean, uh, we do this a lot. We've had a lot of interviews, but like you like embody like entrepreneurship. Like you have all the things that, that like, I think like, it's so funny. You have this like stereotypical thing, but it's just like, I, I just love the, from the beginning, the work in the restaurant, the like, yeah. and then like, you even alluded a little bit to like not learning it, like the stuff you don't learn at school or whatever. I don't know to what extent that was, to, like, cause I'm also not a big fan of like, I don't think you learn a whole lot of like practical, important stuff at school. Um, you, you obviously then went off and did it by yourself. And then, you know, you're enterprising enough to find your partner. Like we, we called it luck. And we talk about this a lot luck because it's like, okay, you have to be lucky. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say I wasn't lucky or whatever, but really you're also creating your own luck a lot. And I think that's what people need to know. They, if they just can't sit hope that they're going to be, you know, struck by a, a bolt of luck, <laughs> they, they need to just keep, keep trying to, to do it. And you clear, so anyway, from my perspective, you've embodied entrepreneurship in every way. So I, I, that's, I really enjoyed that. Uh, this I have, I have actually, I have actually thought of one more question I forgot to ask, which is like, if someone's listening and they're considering like being an entrepreneur, is, what what would you tell them? Is it is is this a good life? Do you recommend it for everyone? I like, if someone's thinking about being an entrepreneur, because a lot of people listening are like thinking yeah. about it, they haven't done it yet. What would you say to them? Um, you have to be built differently. I think you have to understand that there is like the emotional component and there's no steady path to where you're going and, and you don't even know if you're going down the road, right road. So if you're able to embrace that and if you're able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, then yes, definitely do it. Um, if you're expecting the glitz and glamour of uh, a major payday and you're simply doing it for uh, financial gain or for um, just being able to say, I have my own business, it's not the right path. Um, yeah, totally. I think if you're passionate, that's, that's going to really carry you. And go, go with the flow. You have it sort of, that's what you're yeah. saying. Go with the flow because you have to be able to go with the flow. Like whatever, whatever yeah. comes your way, you just adjust to it basically. 
yeah you oh that's that's very key because yeah, yeah if you're if you're not able to to tolerate that that's it's difficult yeah i think that's true good good a, a good point on which to end well um thank you very much indeed thank you for our um, team at the mbm who helped publish this and if if you are listening to this and you enjoyed it do do send us in recommendations of other people to interview that goes for you as well as if you've got recommendations of other people to interview but um also recommend us give us five star reviews on apple on spotify wherever you listen to the podcasts and thank you very much for your time and attention